We are going to look this morning at the story of Jonah. Listen to the tale of Jonah and the whale way down in the middle of the ocean. Ocean. Did, did, any, of you, you, did any of you sing that song? Nobody. Hey, well, I don't remember when I learned it, but I thought it was in Sunday school or something like that. But whatever, we're going to be in the book of Jonah. Jonah is found in the little last section, the last third of the Old Testament. Jonah is what we call a minor prophet. A prophet is someone who has a message from God, and that message is declared to the people. Jonah was that guy. Jonah... The prophet lived during the peaceful and prosperous reign of this king of the northern kingdom of Israel by the name of Jeroboam II. Now, I'm not going to expect you to remember that. If I didn't have the note in front of me, I wouldn't have remembered that. But here's what I want you to remember, is that when the Lord called Jonah to do something completely out of his comfort zone, he was in a kingdom And the kingdom had embraced idolatry. They'd embraced a whole lot of stuff. But politically and socially and culturally, they were experiencing prosperity and peace. And so in that kind of a a situation where he's just, he's cruising, he's a prophet, he's speaking for the Lord, the Lord tells him he wants him to do something very, very, very different. Something that he would have never expected. And he doesn't want to do it. Now, it's going to become important by the end of what I want to share with you of he's in the reign of Jeroboam during that time frame. That time frame, for those of you who want to take a note, was 782 to 753 B.C. That isn't important to the beginning of the story, but it's very, very important to the end of the story. The word of the Lord, chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... Now, here's what the Lord is telling Jonah. You've got to remember, Jonah is a citizen of what nation? Israel. Northern kingdom of Israel. Peace, prosperity. Arise. That means get up, get off your tooth. Get going. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, when Jonah received this call from God, and I know a lot of times Christians, they tell me, I just want to hear from God. I want, to, I want him to tell me what to do. And a lot of the times, God doesn't tell us what to do. He tells us who to be as he opens doors and we follow through with what to do comes later. His will for you and for me is to be something, to be a godly man, to be a godly woman, to be completely devoted to Jesus Christ, to follow him with all of our heart. And then wherever we go, his plan is for us to take. Didn't Jesus say, go into all the world and preach the gospel? Well, if you look at the Greek language, he didn't say go as a command. He said, as you're going. The idea is wherever you go, you take your godliness that he's building in you and you be a testimony and a message proclaimer for me. Arise, go to Nineveh. I'm going to tell you, nobody in Israel wanted to go to Nineveh. Why? Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Assyria was the up-and-coming power that was becoming and would become, in the next 50 years, would become the dominant force in the world. Nineveh, 
the capital of Assyria. The Assyrians were known for their extreme brutality. When they would come and they would conquer a people, I mean, this is gross. This is like PG-13 R-rated stuff. They would come into the city. They would take spears. They would, they would kill the people in the streets. Others, they would knock down, knock unconscious, take a knife and begin to fillet them, their skin off of their body while they were still alive. Others, they would come in and to show how what a strong conqueror they were, they would impale them with large spears through, kids are all gone, through the rectum, live, and then they would post them for this is what happens if you don't cower to the power of Assyria. These were the most barbaric, the most hostile people that the world had known. And the Lord says, Jonah, go there. Now, I think Jonah, uh, well, look what he does, verse 3. But Jonah, he rose up. The Lord told him to get up, right? Well, he got up. But he got up to flee to Tarshish, which is an area. He's, uh, he's being told, go east. This is the landmass that was known in that day to be the most west. I'm going to get up, Lord. You better believe I'm getting up. But I'm not, am I going to Nineveh? Am I going to Syria? Absolutely not. I'm out of town. I'm going to Tarshish. I'm going the other direction. He said, it says he was to, seeking to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, we know that you can do that, right? When God puts something on your heart, it doesn't matter where you go. He's still there whispering it into your ear or banging it into your head. Am I right? He has a way. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Go to this place that is the most brutal place. It would be like, Lord, I want to serve you. And then the Lord comes in a word of prophecy and he says, I want you to go and minister to the Taliban. I want you to go to ISIS. I want you to go to where they cut off Christians' heads and roll them like bowling balls. I want you to go there. I think there were two reasons why Jonah didn't want to go. Number one, probably scared. If I go there, they're going to kill me. I've seen what they've done to other nations. They're going to kill me. Number two, I hate these people, and I don't want them to find God. My gosh, they deserve nothing but God's punishment. And if you look from a physical standpoint, that's true. So Jonah got up. He fled to the furthest west, opposite direction. So he went down to Joppa. Actually, the port at Joppa in northern Israel still exists today. I've seen it on my trips to Israel. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship which was going to Tarshish. So he's finding, where can I go? That's the furthest place away. And then he paid the fare and went down into it from the the, going to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He thought he was actually hiding from God. Successful or unsuccessful venture? You can't hide from God. And we find that out very quickly. As a matter of fact, within a brief time, Jonah's asleep in the boat. There comes a wind and a wave that creates all this chaos, so much so that these experienced sailors are saying to one another, what happened here? Everybody cry out to your own God and let's see why in the world we're experiencing this. They always, in their mentality, they always connected bad weather with angry gods and they had a multiplicity of gods. And so it was always a spiritual thing to them. 
Well, in this case, it was a spiritual thing. And so here's Jonah. He's just sleeping away. And everybody else on the boat is crying out to their God, whoever that might be. And then finally they wake Jonah and they say, you know, they throw, they cast out the cargo. Try and lighten the load. Save the ship. They wake Jonah. Jonah, what's wrong with you? You've got to be praying to your God, too. And he explains to them, well, I'm a God. I, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God. Now, the Lord God even had a reputation. Yahweh God had a reputation outside the borders of Israel. And when these guys heard of it, you're a, you're a worshiper of Yahweh, the one who created all the, the head of the gods. You know, they're a bunch of polytheists. Jonah's a monotheist. He believes in the one true God. You're, you worship that God? Oh, man, you're, we're in trouble because that God is a powerful God. And so Jonah tells them the story of what, why he's running. In verse 11, they say to him, well, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. Now, if I were Jonah... And I'm facing what looks like imminent death. You know what I'm going to say? Take me back to shore. I have, a, I have an appointment in Nineveh. Did he say that? No, he says, you want to hear, the only way that this is going to be right is if you throw me overboard. What he's saying, listen, I would rather die than do what God told me to do. Jesus said that many on the day of judgment would come and stand before him and they would say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this religious stuff in your name? And he's going to look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Not I knew you once and then I lost you. I never knew you. You were always playing the game. A lot of people who claim to be Christians are going to be incredibly surprised when they find out that clocking into church every Sunday does not earn them salvation. When they find out that being a good guy and a good gal does not earn them salvation because there is none righteous, how many? Not even one. And the wages of sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. The only way to get into God's holy presence in heaven is by being an absolute, 100%, every moment of every day, perfect person. Now, besides me, is there anybody else in this room that qualifies? <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, I do not qualify. If I got what I deserved, I would be in that group that said, cause I'm a pastor. I've been a church, I've been a church board than most of you. Not as, you know, some of you may be more. But coming to church doesn't make me a Christian any more than buying a taco at the taco truck makes me carne asada. Jo let's go back to Jonah it's next week that I cannot pay attention to the clock quite as much today I still have to sorry okay what, what, what do we do with you Jonah what do you you disobeyed your God the, the, the biggest God the most powerful God throw me overboard and the idea is I would rather die than do what God told me to do I hope you never come to that place he said to them verse 12 pick me up Throw me into the sea, and then the sea will be calm for you. But the men, they tried to not do that. They tried to row desperately to make things work, and it wouldn't. So verse 15, so they picked up Jonah 
threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Can you imagine just being on the boat like that? Hey, man, you've disobeyed your God, the biggest God of all. What are we going to do with you? Throw me into the sea. Now, he's not thinking he's going to get a whale taxi or any kind of a big fish coming by. He's thinking, I'd rather drown. Throw him into the sea, and all of a sudden, and you know what happens on the boat? There's a revival. Check this out. Jonah's disobedience and, you could say, his discipline and judgment brings a revival of people on the boat. They began worshiping the Lord. And then it says they even offered sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows. And verse 17 says, And the Lord, back to Jonah, and the Lord appointed a great fish. Now, we don't know if it was a whale. We don't know if it, what kind of fish it was. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now, you might be thinking, Mick, are you serious? You really believe that old wise tale? You believe that old Sunday school story that there was a big fish that swallowed Jonah? And I would say, yes, I do. The reason that I believe it is that Jesus believed it. How do I know that? Matthew chapter 12 Jesus uses Jonah as a prefiguring of himself in the grave. And he said, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth before he rises from the dead. Jesus believed in Jonah. Jesus didn't think it was a fable. He believed in Jonah. And I'm telling you, somebody that's crucified, beat and tortured, and put in a tomb and then comes back to life three days later, I'm going to have a tendency to believe what he says. The resurrected Jesus believed in Jonah. I believe in Jonah. Call me fishy if you want, but I believe in Jonah. And then in chapter 2, it starts with this word. What's the word? first word of chapter 2, verse 1? Then. When? After he was in the belly for three days and three nights, then... Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that it took three days for somebody who claimed to have a relationship with God, follow God, love God, be a mouthpiece for God, but was now in disobedience to God, it took three days for that guy to wise up while he's in the belly of a whale being digested? Chapter 2 is really wild because it talks about seaweed was all around me and I could feel myself going to the depths and going up and down. And I mean, you talk about being seasick in a dark, dark place. And finally, after three days in the belly, he prays. Verse 10, chapter 2, then. It's another one of those time words. If you ever do a study on Jonah, look at the time words now and then. And just look at, you see the time element and the and the the. This caused this, A, B, C, D, and all that. Then, so after three days of Jonah finally repenting, what if it have taken you three days in the belly of a whale to, before you repented? It's like, Lord, I'm, fine. I'm sorry. Day one, you're smelling all this. Can you imagine the shrimp, the other fish, the, everything that's going around you? Then you get your head wrapped in seaweed. You're sloshed. You're in an acid bath in a digestive tract of a 
big fish. I think that's why when he gets spit, spit out and he goes to Nineveh, he finally goes. You know how the story goes. I think that's one reason why the people paid attention to him is because here's he probably was a complete albino at that time. Probably the acid that he had been exposed to probably didn't have any facial hair, no hair on his head, no, no eyebrows, no nothing, and probably smelled a little funny. And he came into Nineveh saying, I got a message for you. And they're like, who is this weirdo? But then they listened. But verse 10, chapter 2, Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up unto dry land. Now, I've been in some transports in Latin America and stuff that were very interesting, but I've never been on a sea of vomit. How many of you want to be Jonah? Uh-huh. Jonah gets vomited up. He's already said, Lord, I'm sorry. I remember you. I'm turning toward you. I'm praying. Here I am. The Lord has the fish spit him out. And then we get to chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And I got news for you. The instruction is going to be exactly the same as it was the first time. Saying, arise, go to Nineveh. Sounds like an echo that great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to give you. I'm going to tell you. So, verse 3, Jonah arose, same verses like in the first chapter, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So finally, it takes Jonah, it takes some time, some processing in the stomach of this fish, While he's being processed, he's processing that maybe I better obey the one, the creator of all, who's told me what to do. Maybe I just better do what he says. i got to ask the question, have any of you ever not been inclined to quickly obey what the Lord was telling you to do as you read his word? And maybe he didn't tell you to go a certain place, but he told you to act a certain way. He told you to let go of a certain attitude, maybe hostility, maybe unforgiveness, maybe envy, maybe pride, and, and whatever it was. And you weren't inclined to follow him and say, yeah, I want to do that, Lord. Let's do this together. It's like, stubborn. I think all of us have a little bit of Jonah in us. Would you agree? If you think so, a lot of people are shaking their heads. Go ahead and tell the person you're sitting next to, I think you're a Jonah. Go ahead, just take a minute and tell them that. So he goes, he's vomited out. He says, okay, I will go. Verse 4, then Jonah began to go through the city. Now, the city was a large enough city that it took three full days to walk through the breadth of the city. So he goes through the city one day's walk. So he's a third of the way through the city, and he cries out and says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So he's given this message, incredible message. And look at the response. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. Can you believe it? These horrific, these violent, these hostile, these polytheistic, these people who deserve hell are hearing that if they don't change their ways, God's going to judge them. And they repent. Check out this repentance. They call it a fast. You know what a fast is, don't you? You don't eat. 
a lot of times in the Old Testament times and in the culture, when they were repenting of something, they were changing their heart and mind and say, forget this, I'm going to choose God. Forget this, I'm going to choose God. They would go through a fast. And, and as they would go through a fast, and it could have been days. In this case, it is. Could have been days in which every time your stomach growls, it's a reminder, seek God, seek God, love God, worship God, follow God. And so they put themselves on a voluntary fast. It says they called a fast, they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. That means everybody, all of the Assyrians, put they fasted in Nineveh. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, well, he arose from his throne, and he starts the fast too. He laid aside his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, he sat on the ashes, and he issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let, now watch this, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. This is crazy. They even called all their pets and all of their livestock to go on a fast. It's like, we just want to make sure that all of us have this turning to God experience, this turning to Yahweh. Don't let them eat or drink water. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure their herds thinking, this is a bad idea. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but both men and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God. And the idea is call on the God of Jonah earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. What did he turn from? The wicked way and the violence that's in his hands. So you get this incredible revival that happens in Assyria. 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 (laughs) You tell I'm hungry, I'm waiting for lunch, right? (laughs) This incredible revival. And you would think Jonah the prophet would be thrilled. Not so much. As a matter of fact, we're not going to go detailed into chapter 4, but chapter 4 is some conversation between Jonah and God. He gets all bummed out because Jonah says, I knew it. This is why I didn't want to go in the first place. I knew that you were a God of compassion. I knew that if they turned to you and repented, I knew that you would bless them. And they deserve hell. The Lord finally ends the conversation in verse 11, the last verse in the chapter. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as lots of animals? The idea is there's at least 120,000, we believe. They're not, they're not imbeciles. They're children. There's 120,000 people in Nineveh You want me to destroy all of them? They don't even know left, right. They don't know right from wrong. They're they're children. You want me to destroy them? Jonah, where's your compassion? And so this is a really interesting story. This story of Jonah has so many lessons, but I want to share with you really quickly four. The first comes from chapter 1, verse 3. Remember when Jonah went, the Lord said, let's go to Nineveh, and he said no. And he went down to Joppa, and it says he got on a ship headed for Tarshish. Who paid for the fare? Jonah did. It's actually, it's pointed out. It is, and the things in Scripture, they're pointed out for a reason. 
It says he went, I found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare. Here's lesson number one. When you don't follow what God wants you to do, you end up paying for it. You're going to end up paying. You know, some of the times, like Jonah, it's a financial issue. But most of the time, Psalm 106 is this psalm that's written by David, and it talks about, look what the Lord has done now. Worship the Lord. He's brought you, and he said, look at your history. He brought you out of the land of Egypt with miracles. Now worship the Lord. You guys came out of Egypt. You were in the wilderness. You began to sing his praises. You began to follow him. But then, all of a sudden, you started looking back, and you wanted meat. Remember what they had? They had manna. Manna. You wanted meat, and you started complaining. Your lusts in the wilderness. You had all this lust for stuff, and you didn't get it. And finally, the Lord gave you what you wanted. He gave you quail. He gave you meat. And some of you will remember the story in the book of Numbers that the people complained. Moses went to the Lord. The Lord says, okay, tomorrow at about this time, I'm going to send quail through the land. And it says that the next day, the, the quail were flying at about shoulder lengths high. They were whacking them with sticks. I mean, it was, it was like quail time. It was quail potluck. It was quail all over the place. And then it says that they ate so much quail. They ate the quail. They ate the quail until it came out their noses. Now, think about that for a minute. There's only one experience when food comes out of our nose. Remember when the fish vomited Jonah up? It's when people are throwing it up. You, you want it, and, and here's what the Lord said in Psalm 106 through David. He says, remember the history, and he says, I gave you what you wanted, but it ended up with leanness of soul. So you got what you wanted, man. You got that quail. You got the thing that you were striving for, that you were lusting for, but with it came a leanness of soul. Sometimes that's how we pay for it, guys. God calls us to do something. We don't do it, and it, we just have this, this emptiness, this, this leanness of soul. For me, I'm not okay with that. I want to be full of joy. There are two things that I will never eat just because I hate the way they're marketing. One is fat burger. That just sounds bad, doesn't it? And for somebody that struggles, you know, from, from nicely chubby to fat, you know, back and forth, I'm not going to go get a fat burger. It's like asking for trouble. The other is a skinny cow. I don't want nothing that comes from a skinny cow. <laughs> You know, the land flowing with milk and honey. Well, if it's flowing with milk, that means cows, that means beef, that means hamburgers, that means good stuff, and skinny cows just... And here's what I want to say, that you want to... You hear what the Lord's calling you to do, and for some of you, it might mean go someplace. For most of you, it won't. For most of you, it's going to mean be a certain kind of person. And if you don't embrace that and follow that, you're going to have leanness of soul. You're going to be like a skinny cow. Just leave it at that. Second lesson in the book of Jonah is that God loves even the people that you cannot stand and you want to see him wipe out. Hey, guess what? God loves them. God, what did I say? Loves them. You were some of those people. Some of you were those. You were so far apart from God, but then Jesus reached out to you and conquered you with his love. Third lesson, it's pretty easy to be a hypocrite. Here's Jonah thinking that these people who are so wicked should be judged. 
But here's Jonah doing what the very definition of wickedness is, disobeying God and wanting a second chance. Hypocrite. The fourth, and I think even the most important lesson in this whole book, is that God is always at work with a bigger picture. There's something bigger going on than just what meets the eye. Do you remember I said the date was important? Because between 30 and 50 years after Jonah goes to Assyria, that's when Assyria conquers the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. It's 30, maybe 40, maybe on the outside 50 years. And for the first time in Assyria's conquering history, they didn't behave brutally to the Israelite conquered. Do you know what I'm saying? So what was God doing? Jonah had no idea, but what God was doing was bringing about a revival in Assyria that didn't last. It didn't last. But it lasted a generation. And that generation that it lasted, when they conquered Israel, they, they behaved much more humanely to them. And so the nation of Israel was a benefit, a ripple effect of the blessing of Jonah obeying God. Is that making sense to you? And I want to tell you that God is at work doing bigger things than your comfort. So don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't bite the bad theology that all God wants to do is make life comfortable for you. No, he wants to do something much, much bigger. And that is all the people around you. He wants them to see that your faith is authentic in the one true God who loves them and who gave his life for them. That's what he wants. It really, this we like being comfortable. But the real deal is, are we going to get to heaven? This world is a passing vapor, guys. Heaven's eternal, eternal. God always has a bigger plan. Five months ago, we had a fire that affected our church. We got calls that very night. Your church is on fire. It's burning down. All of this stuff. Well, guess what? It didn't burn down, but it had damage. Guess what? The testimony in our town now is, for some crazy reason, your church didn't burn down. And now the testimony in this town is, and you guys got stuck in a different church building, and God has brought you guys together. I'm not saying long term. I'm saying right now in fellowship, God has brought our church and the First Southern Baptist Church together to raise one voice to praise him right now. And I think I never would have guessed that six months ago that that was on God's plan for us. God always has a plan. And my time's done. We finished the book. So let's pray. <laughs> Lord, I pray that your truth would rest in our hearts. Lord, that you would help us to not be hypocrites, to not judge others when we disobey you at the same time. Lord, that you would help us when we hear your call to be or to do that we would be quick like Jonah was the second time around. Lord, I ask for that. I ask God for your blessing, for your strength on our congregation. Thank you, Lord, for this family. And I pray that you would continue to use us as a lighthouse to point people to Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Bless you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Guys, I was going to have... Mark, I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to pull a plug. I was going to have Mark close with a song. Are you going to be around for lunch, brother? Oh. Okay. Well, we're going to miss this song that because our time